Some have quit serving the Lord in his church because they were criticized for others for their service, and so to avoid criticism and hassle, they just remove themselves to the sideline to be an observer and say, here it is, you do it if you think you can do it better. And that happens to a lot of people, a lot of church members, and so they sit on the sidelines, not doing anything, because someone had been critical of the work they did. I'm not saying it's right to sit there and be a non-participant. I'm just saying that there's many there in the ranks of fans sitting on the church pew, and many have come before you that will follow. And here in the text, young Timothy was waning. He was retreating in timidity, anxiety, and shyness. Thank you for listening to the Calhoun Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Mark Abney. Do you ever wonder why serving the church is important? Join us on this week's podcast as Brother Mark shares insights on the impact serving can have on our lives and the church community. Drawing from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-11, through 11, Brother Mark will challenge us to consider our role in serving and how it can make a difference in our lives and the lives of others. Tune in for this inspiring message that will encourage you to live out your faith through service. And now, Brother Mark. Well, we're looking in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I'm gonna, we just preached through worship, and the last time we talked about worship, I talked about worship in the church. So I'm going to preach one more time, not the last time, but one more time on the church, and then I'm going to quit for a while. We're going to go into Easter, Palm Sunday, and Easter, and then... Uh, We'll, uh, we'll head down a different path wherever the Lord leads. But I wanted to talk one more time about the church because it just seems like we are in a time, in a season, where church membership, we're belonging to a church, we're being part of a body is very important. And we're, we're right in that time where I think God wants us to know how important it is to become part of a local body of believers and engage in service there as the Lord leads you. So in, uh, we're going to be looking in 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 11. Would you stand with me as we read out of God's Word? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about that for a salutation? Amen. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Six, for this reason, I'm, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through my laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us into a holy calling, not because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, 
and which has now been manifest through the appearing of, this, of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day which, he is, which has been entrusted to me. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray you, you bless your words to our heart. Lord, I pray that as your spirit moves in this place, that we are drawn to you. Lord, I pray that as your spirit moves in our hearts, that we are, we are motivated by your spirit to engage in the ministry that you've called us to. Lord, hide me behind the cross. Give me the words to speak. And we'll glorify your holy name. In Jesus' name I pray. All these things. And the church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. There are many reasons that believers don't serve the Lord in his church. Some believers are half-hearted. They're just not all in. And when we say Jesus is Lord, that means that he is in control of our lives, of everything that we are. Many believers, when they're first saved, they're all in. They're on fire for the Lord. They're fully committed. But somehow or another, their faith wanes. Something happens to them along the road, and their faith dies out. The Bible warns, warns us in James 1.7 against such wind-driven, half-hearted Christianity, saying that double-minded believer must not must not believe that they will receive anything from the Lord because they are unstable in all their ways. We, we have to be single-minded in the work of the Lord. And if we're truly saved, if the Holy Spirit lives in us, we are single-minded because the Spirit of God is telling us the things of God. And the things of God are always according to His Word, always the same and every person that is saved should believe according to the Word of God and be of one single mind. And that's the Holy Spirit's work in us. Many uh, believers just grow cold over time, year in, year out, going to church, working in the church, and they suffer from burnout. They were worked to death. They did not know how to say no, and so no one else would do the work, and so the work fell on them, and they fell in exhaustion. Many times this comes with assistance of fellow church members being critical of those who are overworked in the first place, which is sad. We kill our own wounded. They may have been a worker in the church for a very long time, and they decided to step aside and let someone else do the work. So they decided to retire. Well, I need to interject something here. The, when you're doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way, there's no such thing as retirement. And you're always on call. You're always manning the post, doing the work of the Lord until the day He returns or takes you home. 
Some have thrown in the towel because they were never engaged or trained to do the work they were called to do. This can be a big issue where church leadership may never allow others to step into the ministry and do the work, or it may be the fault of the believer themselves that they never really stepped out and said, I wanted to do the work, or here am I, how can I help? Some have quit serving for the wrong reasons. Oh, some have quit because they served for the wrong reasons. They were, they were looking for accolades or accommodations, and they wanted to be church worker of the year. And when we work for the Lord, he gets all the glory, and we get the blessings of being a servant. The greatest in the kingdom of God is the least in the kingdom. Or if I were to put that as, as we could understand it in today's, did you ever play pile on as a kid? You know, everybody just pile on somebody. Well, nobody ever wanted to be at the bottom of the pile because you had everybody else on top of you, but the bottom of the pile is where all the blessings are in the kingdom of God. Some have quit serving the Lord in his church because they were criticized for others for their service, and so to avoid criticism and hassle, they just removed themselves to the sideline to be an observer and say, here it is, you do it if you think you can do it better. And that happens to a lot of people, a lot of church members, and so they sat on the sidelines, not doing anything, because someone had been critical of the work they did. I'm not saying it's right to sit there and be a non-participant. I'm just saying that there's many there in the ranks of fans sitting on the church pew, and many have come before you that will follow. And here in the text, young Timothy was waning. He was retreating in timidity, anxiety, and shyness. Now I think that Satan loves a church member who just comes to church and sits on a pew and goes home. Because you're already saved. There's nothing he can do about that. But if he can keep you from working, he is so happy that if you're, all you're going to do is come to church and sit on the pew and go home, that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. I just thought I'd throw that in. Didn't cost you any extra to hear that. So first of all, if you're truly saved, you will serve. That's kind of a bold statement, isn't it? If you're truly saved, you will serve the church. Paul said, I'm reminded of your faith, the same faith that was in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and is now in you. And for this reason, because you have this faith, you must stir up the spiritual gift that is within you and use it for God's glory. That's what Paul was telling Timothy. Here he reminds Timothy of the faith in Jesus Christ because of his faith. And Paul says, get back up and get back in the fight and serve the Lord's church. You see, when we fall, and we will, that's not the big problem. The big problem comes when we don't get back up. We crawl to the first pew we can find and our blessed assurance on the nice cushion and we sit there in a pity party out of the race and right in Satan's plan and Satan loves it when a believer is just sitting on the church pew. Salvation is the foundation for any true service so that we can offer our works to the Lord for what he's done for us. It's a huge mistake when people believe that you serve God 
before you're saved. For you first must receive salvation before you can serve the Lord. An example of this might be of someone who gives financially to the church, hoping that on Judgment Day, God would have leniency on them. Well, it just don't work that way. God don't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He don't even need you to help him because he's all-powerful. But God loves you, and he sent Jesus to die for you because he wants to redeem you back to himself more than anything else. God wants you to come back to him through faith in Jesus Christ. If you could do anything to earn your salvation, then it's no longer grace. It's no longer a free gift. Romans 4, 4 and 5 says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man... Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. God works, good works, for the Lord follow salvation. They cannot in any way be used to earn salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. James 2.18 says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. We can never work our way to salvation, but because of our salvation, we'll work till Jesus comes. So before you get involved in any way to serve the Lord, make sure that you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. The best decision that you'll ever make in this life is accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior and making Him Lord of your life and following Him the rest of your days. He wants so much to redeem you back to Himself and call you His child. Secondly, when you're saved, you receive gifts. And for this reason... Paul says, because you're saved, I want to remind you to stir up the gift that is in you. There are two ways that God gifts us that salvation. The first gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And every Christian received the Holy, receives the Holy Spirit to dwell in him or her at the moment of salvation. The Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is a person. Once you receive the Holy Spirit, you get all of God's Spirit that you're ever going to get because the Spirit is a person. Now, you can quench the Spirit, and you can cause the Spirit not to work fully in your life by quenching the Spirit. And it's not good. That's a sin when you quench the Spirit because God wants to work within you and through you and manifest Himself in your life through the Spirit of God who lives in you so that other people can find out about who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to do in their life. So every believer receives the Holy Spirit. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have a ghost living inside of you. You're possessed. It's not an evil possession. 
It's a godly possession. And praise God that he lives in us. Amen. Romans 8, 9 says, But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that lives in us, is the litmus test that we are saved. He lives in us. He convicts us of our sin. He guides us into all righteousness. He interprets the word. He helps us to pray. He does all kinds of things for us that we cannot do on our own power. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, we were all made to drink of the same Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, lives inside of every person that is saved. It is the person of God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. These are the character qualities that come from the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit gives us power to serve God. And if you try to serve the Lord under your own power, you will fail. Because God grants us power through the Holy Spirit who lives in us so that we might be able to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. The gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit gives us love. The love of God, which comes out in our lives. And apart from the Holy Spirit living in us, we cannot have the love of God. And it's the love of God that proves that you are His and that draws other believers to Jesus. The gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit gives us a sound mind and self-control. How many of us need self-control? Amen. I know I do. How many of us need a sound mind? I know I do. We all need both of them. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us that. It's the Holy Spirit that, that proves that doctrine which the Bible teaches and assures us that we are on the right path and we are of sound doctrine and we need to be of sound doctrine especially as we work in the church. So he, he gives us these character qualities. And if we're going to serve the Lord in the church, we need the, the character qualities that only the Holy Spirit can give. And if we're going to, if you're going to lose it and go off on some poor unbeliever uh, with a loss of self-control, then that's a shame because the Holy Spirit wants you to have self-control so that you are not reaping havoc in the church. When the Holy Spirit comes, secondly, He brings more gifts than just these character qualities. It is significant that each one of us, uh, it is significant that in each of the four main biblical references to the spiritual gifts, it specifies that every Christian has a gift or gifts. Romans 12.3 For through the grace given to me, I say that everyone among you not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So every believer gets this measure of faith, a gift of faith. Some more, some less. But without faith, it's impossible to please God, the Bible says in Hebrews. And you've been given the gift of faith, and faith is kind of like a muscle. 
The more you exercise it, the stronger it becomes. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And in 1 Peter 4.10 it says, As each one has received a special gift, employed and serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So don't miss this biblical truth. If you're a Christian, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit who will manifest himself in and through you in ministry for the glory of God. If you have the Spirit, he will be at work in you. And he will show himself by many works in the church as he seeks to glorify God through you. There's no such thing as an inactive church member. We have church roles and a lot of times them roles will say active members and inactive members. And I want you to know that there's no such thing as an inactive church member. If you're a believer and you're in the ministry, you will someday give an account to God for your actions and how you fulfilled the ministry that he entrusted you to. You can stifle the Holy Spirit, but once again, know that that's a sin when you do so. God will never call you to a ministry where he doesn't gift you to fulfill it. Third, it's our job to stir up the gifts. God is sovereign, and he imparts spiritual gifts to every believer. We need to remember that whether it is a natural ability or a spiritual gift, everything we have is a gift of God's grace. I wanted to throw that in because many times we, when we think about the gifts of, the, of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we think about the supernatural gifts that God grants us. But as we're born, as we grow up, we all have natural gifts and abilities. And God wants to use them as well. It's our job to stir up the gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, But one and the same Spirit work all things, distributing, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. So no one of, not one of us can boast about our gifts. best we can do is stir them up so we can glorify God. We would be nothing without him, so because of him, we should use all that he's given us to glorify him. I believe sometimes God calls us to a place to serve where we're not gifted, we're not qualified, so that he gets all the glory. Sometimes he might re-gift us to serve him so that, we might, so that he might get the glory. Many places of servanthood require multiple gifts. There are spiritual gift inventories out there and tests where you can try to work and figure out your spiritual gift. But remember, these are just helps so that you might see what your gifts are or might be and are no way a comprehensive list and no way define God's ability to gift you or change your gifts because I believe all are possible with God. Amen. So we need to discover our gifts, first of all. And I think uh, one of the ways we can discover our gifts, and, and this kind of relates more to our natural abilities, but know what your KSAs are. This is a government acronym, but knowledge, skills, and abilities. Know what your knowledge, skills, and abilities are. Because God has given you a unique set of desires and natural abilities to help serve Him in the church. You might be 
have a great singing voice or play an instrument. You might be able to speak in other languages. You might be a carpenter or a plumber. You might have the ability to clean your rug this afternoon and entertain guests tonight. Glory. <laughs> some of y'all will get that. Some of you won't. You might be good with numbers or accounting, or you might have a good memory and be able to plan. Wherever you are and whatever God has given you, He expects you to use it for His glory. Secondly, we discover our gifts by serving. Some sit around and try to discover their gift before they get involved in serving, but that's backwards. You get in church, you get engaged in the church, and God will show you what your gifts are. Thirdly, we discover our gifts by listening to others. Other Christians, especially mature Christian church leaders, recognize and affirm your gift. Paul mentioned that to Timothy in our text, and he says, the gift was in you through the laying on of my hands. That application would be that others recognize and affirm your gifts as they see you serve in the church. Fourthly, we discover our gifts by effectiveness. When you exercise the gift that God has given you and you work in the church, you see results from all the work that God does in and through you. I think once we discover our gifts, then we need to develop them. And we develop them by first exercising them. If God has gifted you to teach, then teach. Spend time studying, learning the Bible, learning uh, all, all the things that you need to know in order to teach. And by the way, the one who learns the most in the classroom is the teacher. When you teach, you learn more than anybody else because you you work hard to prepare for that lesson so that you can teach the people in your class. If you're gifted to evangelize, well then by all means go evangelize. And by the way, we can all benefit by training that's offered and by others in, uh, who are gifted in the same way by coming alongside them and using them as mentors. But we must develop our gift by exercising it. Secondly, we develop our gift by using it. This is a lifelong process. You should not get involved in, in serve. You should not only get involved in serving, but you should also search the Bible to make sure that you're serving in accordance with sound doctrine. Evaluate your methods and refine your approach as needed. Get feedback from other believers as you serve in the church. Third, we must constantly stir up our gifts. Paul tells Timothy to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. And this picture of fanning the flames. At our house, we have a billows. You know what a billows is? Take the billows and you, uh, you get there in the fire and it, you whoosh, 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 give it some air. And pretty soon, them coals get hot and the flame gets to going. And the grandkid was over the other asher. He come over to see us, and we got the billows out, and we was fanning each other with the billows, and he just he just loved that. But that's what we do with our gifts. The more we use our gift, the more we stir it up. It's like fanning the flames, and our gift becomes stronger and stronger, and God uses it more and more in our lives. So we need to first fan the flame of your first love. It's easy to drift into spiritual apathy or distance from Christ. The world crowds in, pressures keep us from spending time alone with Christ, and before we know it, we're in the spiritual dregs. 
Don't let your love for Jesus grow cold. So keep fanning that flame. Secondly, kindle afresh or fan the flame of your gift because of non-use. Non-use. In my garage, I have a zero-turn mower. It's a bad boy. And uh, I put it in the garage in the fall after I mow up all the leaves and everything. And then I don't get it out again till spring. But if I don't go and start it a couple times in the winter, when spring comes, the gas is gelled in the carburetor and the battery's dead. So I gotta keep using that often to keep it running well. And the same is true with our spiritual gifts. If we don't use them, they could become idle because of non-use and our batteries might get dead and our gas might gel up. And we need to keep kindling the flame there. Thirdly, we need to fan the flame when it's difficult. Paul was in prison with people attacking him and false teachers were perverting the gospel. And if Timothy got involved, he would undoubtedly catch some flack because of his timid nature. It was easy for him not to use his gifts and to go and retreat. But if you only serve when it's convenient or when you feel like it or when you think it's safe, you really aren't fully engaged and you need to fan the flame a little bit and stand boldly on God's word and continue in service even when it's difficult. In conclusion, salvation is a radical change in which God imparts a new nature to us. But listen, even though he makes all things new, most times he doesn't change our personalities. Think about Paul. Paul was basically the same personality after his conversion as he was before. Remember Peter who was quick to get out of the boat and quick to deny the Lord three times? Remember Timothy who doubted and still doubted after he was saved? Remember the sons of thunder? He was called that because of their anger issues and I'm sure still had anger issues afterwards but had the Holy Spirit living in them for self-control. You know, it's okay to be angry, the Bible says, just don't sin when you're angry. Be angry and sin not. And there's some things that we should be very angry about. We should be angry about the way our country's going, moving God out. We should be angry about abortion issues. We should be angry about a lot of things that are going on all around us. And, and in that spiritual anger, we don't sin, but we pray and we seek God's face and we try to be people in our community that make a difference for God's work. Often our greatest strengths are at the same time our areas of greatest weakness. Her preacher one time preached a message on wherever you think you're strong, look out because that's where you'll get attacked. And it was true. I've seen it happen over and over. We, we think we're strong in that area so we don't work in that area to protect ourselves because we think we're good. We tend to work on the places where we think we're weak. But Satan knows exactly how to get to us, and a lot of times that's where he comes in. So be careful there. Quite often to serve God effectively, you've got to step out of your comfort zone 
In a crisis of belief and trust God to do the impossible, it's often intense pressure and something that you could not do in your own strength. I could not preach every week without trusting God. In fact, in college, English was my worst subject, and now I write an essay every week. But it's not me. It's God who does it. It's intense, and it's exhausting. And I go home a lot of times on Sunday and crash because I'm exhausted. And any of you who have filled this pulpit know how it, it spiritually drains you. But we know how God works in and through us when we are uh, submissive to what he wants to do. Sermons don't always come easily. And a lot of times I spend many, many hours working on them or praying to see what God wants me to speak on. Paul mentions four ways to exercise our gifts. Exercise them without timidity. Exercise them with power. <coughs> exercise them in love. And exercise them with discipline. Paul is telling Timothy, because you're saved, you must serve Jesus Christ. He's gifted you to serve him, but you've got to discover, develop, kindle, and exercise your gifts. This is an attitude mindset. When we realize that because God rescued us from a life of sin and selfishness, and we're not our own, we belong to him, he has our back, and he has a plan for us to serve him in some capacity, so we just don't dabble around when it's serving the church. We know that God has called us to that position, and we take it seriously, and we engage and we do what God has called us to do because that's what he wants of us. A pastor was trying to persuade a woman to teach a Sunday school class, but she kept giving him the same excuse, I just can't be tied down. And he said, ma'am, Jesus was nailed down on a cross for you. Don't you think you could be tied down a few hours a week for him? Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, you saved us and you gifted us for service. And Lord, sometimes we're on the sidelines as a fan because of various things that have happened to us. And Lord, I just pray that we would get back in the fight. We'd get back in the race, run the race with of endurance, and do the best we can with the gifts that you've given us and allow your spirit to move in and through us, to draw other people to you, to sanctify us, to become more like you, and to grow the church. And Lord, you established the church and you placed members in the church and gifted them with gifts that they might serve. And each one is called to serve in that capacity. And when they fail to serve, the church is addled, is handicapped. So, Lord, I pray for each member that they would fan the flames, that they would stir up the gift within them, and they would not quench the Spirit as the Spirit moves, that the church may function properly, healthy, thriving, and drawing people unto you. For this community needs it so much. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. And the church said... We're going to be singing page three, three, ten. <laughs> we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this week's podcast. 
Our prayer is that if you are touched by this message, that you will respond with action. If you would like to accept Christ as your Lord, we ask that you pray the following prayer. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I do not deserve eternal life, but I believe that you died and rose from the grave to make me a new creation and to prepare me to dwell in your presence forever. Jesus, come into my life, take control of my life, forgive my sins, and save me. I am now placing my trust in you alone for my salvation, and I accept your free gift of eternal life. If you prayed this prayer with us today, then you know that you are truly saved. We'd love to hear from you so that we might connect in a meaningful way, encouraging you to be active in the local church, and share the same saving message of Jesus Christ. Please feel free to contact our pastor, visit our church, or find a Bible-believing local congregation near you. However you respond, please let us know.